1: Hey, listen, the current business environment is really ripe for transformation. We know that, you know, days have become weeks, weeks have become months, months have become years, right? For all of us. And we know that, especially right now with COVID, we've got such a unique landscape and it's constantly shifting. So staying on top of the latest trends and strategies has never been more important. So the evolution of marketing as a purpose-driven medium has forced many brands to rethink their approach the customer satisfaction because we're serving customers in different ways. So I wanna know how brands are doing that. So our guest today is Tara uh, Walpert Levy. She's the Vice President of Agency Solutions for YouTube and Google, and she's responsible for Google's advertising business through third-party partners and specialty businesses. I've known her for a number of years, knew her in the agency business, and then when she went to Google, I knew her when she started that job, and so it's good to have her here. She's a good friend. Welcome, Tara.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. It's great to see you.
1: It's good to see you again. How are you how are you weathering all this change?
2: hanging in there like everybody else <laughs> just making sure we've got enough wi-fi <laughs> you know it, it,
1: wi-fi that's that's number one thing because i think you're out in long island still are you still out in long island
2: back and forth back and forth last time we spoke i was in long island we're still out there on the weekends, but our kids go to school in manhattan so we are we are making it work uh, wherever we are and knock on wood everybody's healthy so that's what really matters
1: awesome that's indeed the truth so you said in in a recent interview that covid was an accelerant for change i couldn't agree more so how much has marketing and advertising accelerated in the last ten months? You know what trends? Do you see? What trends do you see that weren't here ten months ago, Tara?
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think the the trends were all here. It's just that they vastly accelerated, right? Mm-hmm. So we've gone, you know, five, 10 years in the span of 10 months. And you, you right remember, I mean, just to pick as one example, right? It was the year of mobile, year of mobile, year of mobile for, I uh, felt like, 10 years. And then there was mobile, right? And now I think people have been saying digital transformation, digital transformation, digital transformation. But in the last 10 months, everybody's actually done it, right? Because they had to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also physical businesses were inaccessible or difficult to access or consumers just had a much harder time engaging with them. And so all of a sudden, whether it's, I mean, before you even get into marketing and advertising, if you just think about the consumer experience, right, all of a sudden, you know, if you were a restaurant or a restaurant chain that didn't have the ability to do curbside or delivery or have an online ordering element, you were going to get one pretty darn quick if you wanted to thrive in this environment, you know, something that's less obvious, uh, car sales, right? Unbelievably, now 10% of car sales are being done literally without anyone ever being on the lot or touching the car or driving the car. It's, you know, order virtual test drive, compare reviews, purchase, process cars delivered to you. And that is... While, So I think no matter what vertical and no matter what business you're in, people have radically rethought the customer experience in a digital fashion. And then to your point, you're seeing marketing and advertising follow that. So even if you know, I think we were at something like 40% digital in terms of marketing and advertising before this all began. You know, now we're up to 50% already, 55%, I think. And I think we expect to be at pretty much 70% within the next couple of years. So that's that's all, I follow the consumer story and consumers were trending this way already. But in a COVID environment, people are just spending, at, for better or for worse, and it's, it's probably both, a ton more time online with absolutely everything, whether that is streaming video or shopping or you know looking for their next great experience. How, how
1: much is content played? I mean, you sit there and when you say 70%, you know, and, you know, we have C-suite uh, radio, C-suite TV, you've obviously got, you know, YouTube, which is a big yeah. Big 800-pound gorilla sitting there. So how, how does content play for advertisers or for brands?
2: Well, so I think the first thing is simply where are people actually consuming content, whether it's branded content or not. So, you know, and this is, again, one of those trends that people have said for was coming forever, but the move from a more traditional tea environment to streaming clearly exploded in covid Uh, You know, I can speak for YouTube because that's what I know. We saw five times the viewership of YouTube during this period than we had prior and literally a hundred million people watching YouTube on their television screens. I am sure, you know, our various streaming partners, competitors, et cetera, you know, saw similar patterns because that's what people are doing. And so that actually has to rewire how people think about connecting through content, whatever they are doing creatively in the first place. And then on top of that, I think, you know, consumer expectations for engaging interesting personalized content had been rising already. It's even more so now because, again, they're they're operating entirely in a digital environment where you could act off it immediately. And therefore, the more personal the message, the the better off you are. And so I think what that has led to is, for the most part, more personalized content that you still might call an ad as you traditionally defined it. Right, but we're but we're just seeing those ads perform way better, and clients getting much more sophisticated in everything from measuring, you know, where people are dropping off and engagement with their content, and then adjusting accordingly to actually looking at the analytics and being able to understand what impact or what's, what business results that content is driving. And for some brands, that means they should engage even more in uh, more thought leadership type content or entertainment type content. And we are seeing that, I, I expect we'll see more of that. Uh, but today it's been mostly about making a uh, somewhat similar idea of content simply better yeah. and, and making sure that it is put in the environments where consumers are engaging today.
1: Yeah. And where it's relevant. If it's not relevant and it sticks exactly. out, it doesn't it doesn't fit. If it's more organic, more in the natural flow of things, I think it's much better. I, you can remember that back in the days, Tara, when we were uh, doing a lot of the stuff that we we're doing on the in the marketing side. And a lot of people were like, remember TiVo and it would knock out commercials. And that was the yeah. big thing. So people could skip commercials. But that, that we moved past that where people were OK. Absolutely. Today. We moved past that argument when that was all a bunch of B.S. at, at some point. But. Let me ask you a question about branded content, because I don't think people care whether it's branded content or not. I don't think they care whether it's organic, meaning real or branded, as long as the content's good. I
2: completely agree with that. Okay. Oh, I thought, I, yeah. Consumers don't care at all. And again, if you're really good at like you and your network, like fantastic. You can really, I think, have a huge impact with that. It's just, as you know, not that easy to do. And so whether That's you true. need that, right? I mean, not that many people do it that well. And so whether you need to or not, or whether the disproportionate return from for you versus simply making more normal content or ads. Better to your point, you know, it was going to vary by by company and a little bit by industry, right? The, the movie theaters, on average, are fantastic at it, right? Because that's their business. Uh, you know, insurance companies, you know, on average, less so. <laughs> um, but but I will say to your point about that argument going away, you know, I'm going to have to. I, I will confess, with everything going on, I have not caught up on the top ten uh, YouTube videos this year, so I'd have to check. It held, but typically every year, you know, three or four of the top ten you know, most watched, most engaged, most loved videos on YouTube are from brands, right? Yeah, so brand know, we're, not, we're not counting that way. It's just straight up. could be from anybody. No, but
1: the, the, the BS that you hear from people saying, well, you know, video, you know, it has to be brief. Now it has to be shorter because of people's tension span. I said, are you nuts? I, I binge watched Downton Abbey for days. Right? <laughs> if, if the content is good, It will capture the behavior of the customer, which is they want to watch and we're seeing that. I want to ask you about ad dollars because I want to get a a sense of that. How can digital advertising increase the value in a current environment?
2: Sorry, when you say value, you mean you mean
1: value of the brand, value of the customer Ah.
2: to give more
1: value back to the brand itself.
2: Totally. Well, and listen, when COVID hit, I mean, Google has built its brand sort of not just B two C but B two B around being helpful to brands and advertisers. So this is sort of at the the heart of what we care about. And I think the at the end of the day, right, what people want to do is they want to build brands sort of perception, halo, etc., and use that and and the actions against it to translate into sales and profits and in particular i think digital allows for a degree of performance based advertising meaning you can literally say okay i would like to generate x leads at this cost or even better yet you know you know what your customer lifetime value is you know what your target profit is and you say i want to you know put ads out there and optimize them up until you know up until i hit that break even point and what that does is twofold. One, it typically maximizes growth for a brand well well beyond what they do in in, um, traditional advertising because it gives you faster info to optimize against. And probably as importantly, or even more importantly, in this environment, it lets you manage variability, right? So when, when you think about the crisis that hit, when you think about recovery, what we saw across the board was that brands that were leaned into automation, which by definition is happening in a digital world, those brands did better because the machines could more rapidly keep up with the rapid swings in consumer demand and interest and with the ability to personalize the creative that was being put to them in a way that made it, to your point, most relevant, most engaging, et cetera. And so if you are, I mean, I sit on a a corporate board, you know, we cared a lot about liquidity and about, you know, everything from the risk management of liquidity to the unique moment in time when people were more willing to switch brands. And the reality was, of course, there is human strategy inside creativity that makes this all possible. But the infrastructure in digital advertising lets you manage the business so much better, so much faster, so much more easily, and so you can just feel more comfortable sleeping at night. That you know the you're, if if the consumer wins change tomorrow because of some new announcement about vaccines, you know you're going to be roughly caught up when you wake up in the morning, and then you can apply the human optimization on top of that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: C Suite Radio.
1: So I'm going to talk about metrics for a second. Um, how, what do you look at? Are you looking at yourself? Are you looking in dollars
2: or engagement? What's it look like for you? As a seller, as a marketer, because I've done both for Google.
1: Oh well, I like a which what's what's for the seller and what's for the what's for the buyer.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, they're highly correlated. So it's easier to start with the buyer because what I look at when I was a marketer at Google is what I recommend my clients look at now, Um, which is, I mean, at the highest level, right? I want to see the simplest chart, which is EBITDA, which is hopefully going up to the right and marketing spend, right? It's the EBITDA that's sort of tied to that and the marketing spend. in a perfect world, right? In a perfect world for all of us involved, they're both going up, but the EBITDA is going up much faster, right? Yeah. So that's that's like the absolute simplest headline. And I think that um, that actually doesn't happen as often as you would think, because there are a lot of businesses that still manage marketing as a cost line, as opposed to an investment for growth. Right. and uh you know we believe that you know we' putting my seller hat back on for a second that we win when our customers win, right and so we want to see that chart going up and to the right for them you know beyond that, like I love to be able to break that down into in particular in this moment you know new customer acquisition and their behavior and then also sort of existing customer retention and their behavior because we're seeing a lot of businesses that are getting many more new customers new segments than they ever have before. And so people don't have the time right now, or in many cases, even the partners who are able to do a lot of the more traditional modes of research of understanding those new personas and new segments, but they are able to get rich data about behavior, right, that lets them adjust, even without, you know, having quite as much qualitative hypothetical around it, they've got real world info.
1: Yeah. When that line doesn't go up. So I'm, I'm making the spin. I used to have this thing yeah. with my CFO all the time says, when I spend on advertising, yeah. sales go up. When I stop sales go down. Let me show you this. And I showed yeah. them, I could show them any at any given time. So when it doesn't go as high as you would like on the EBITDA or don't see it trailing or don't see it leading yep. Yeah. as a customer, I come back to you and say, Hey, Terry, you told me to do this. I went and did this. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're Google, you guys know everything and I'm doing this. It's not working for me. How do you deal with that? Or, so do, you, or do you deal with it? Do you ever have that? you got to
2: have it. No, of course. We, of course we do, right? I mean, the, the machines aren't perfect and neither are we. <laughs> um, and by the way, often it does take time. And we usually try to talk to our customers about this upfront, depending how direct the correlation is between the kind of marketing you're doing and the kind of response you want. It may take longer, you know, days or yeah, weeks. There's no push or, a
1: button and immediately something comes out. I mean, it doesn't. Right.
2: The, the system has to learn what you're trying to do and to see how people respond to it. Um, so so we try to help people manage their expectations that with a fundamentally new strategy, right? It's going to take you a couple of weeks to look at it and really know for sure what's happening. But even before that, we look very closely because one of the things you get to see is when you have on average, you know, tens of thousands of permutations of an ad, Right. You can see immediately which ones are working better for which audiences, and then you can simply adjust the mix to do more of that. So wherever your line is, you can always bend the curve, right? And if um, you know, if, it, if it is with all the optimizations you can do against audience, against creative, against you know, time of day, against content, all that. If nothing is working, and for whatever reason, it's not the right tactic for you, I will say that doesn't happen a ton, um what, what can happen is that, you know, we, we might find some mixes, some audiences, some creatives simply work a lot better than others. And so then we just, you know, switch hard to those. The other thing we typically do, and this is what we say to the CFOs, so you may you may appreciate this, is that you know, we try to build in the guardrails up front, right? And so the the mental shift is instead of having the guardrail be, well, my marketing budget is X, and I'm not going to spend any more than that. The guardrail instead is, I will not pay for an ad that does not deliver against this target return on ad spend. Um, and so that that tends to you know give us and our clients together a lot more room to freely optimize to help them find the most growth without stressing that, that, you know, there's going to be an uncomfortable CFO. Yeah, how here.
1: often do you actually do that where you sit down with me as a CMO and I would say, or any, any spender at any, and I assume it's at any level to some extent, but to say, Hey, I can put these guardrails or governance or co- what I would call conditions of satisfaction that if I should get this and get this, it's built right into the system, even at the smallest level, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean that happens all the time, right? Again, that's that's a performance marketing mechanism. So we do, um, you know, have some properties that are bought on a more traditional me- mechanism, like via a CPM, you know, old school, um, right. where those take, you know, those guardrails are further out because it takes longer to see that kind of result. But you know what but,
1: it is? I mean, I could go on Google today and look and say I want to buy a keyword, and it will tell yeah. me I will get approximately this reach, this many hits, and this is what it's going to cost me. Do
3: you yeah. want
2: to spend it? I mean, that's the guardrail. And, and and to your point. For the majority of our clients, while we do meet and discuss it with them, like a lot of them are now really good or have marketing partners, agencies, consultants, whomever, who are really good, who to your point, they know how to do that. And they see it themselves and they can operate even faster than we can.
1: Awesome. Hey, listen, Tara, I want to, I, I thank you. What a pleasure to see you again. So uh, I'm going to turn you. it back over to my co-host, Green, uh, Greg Greenberg and to Tricia Ben, and we're going to take it out to our members. We'd love to have them have some input.
2: Terrific. Yeah. Thank you. you. It's great to see you. Good to see you.
3: Thank you so much, Jeff and Tara. That was uh, fantastic. We love having these high-level insights into what's actually happening in all the different worlds of what C-Suite is about. And Susan Chambers had a great question for you. She says, um, would you like to hear about the charity world? What are the innovations? How do you show up? Um, What should people not be doing? Um, Obviously, in terms of philanthropic work, moving straight into digital is a big leap. Um, so what are your, what are your best pieces of advice there, Tara? So, uh, you know, I'd say a couple
2: things, um, you know, number one, the, the mechanism for most of the nonprofits that we work with is similar, right. Or the same in the sense that you are trying to move, shift mindsets or behaviors in a particular direction, in this case, philanthropic, as opposed to commercial, but, but the approach is largely similar. Typically we have you know smaller budgets to work with and I would encourage Susan and others to look into the Google Ad Grants program, which is a major nonprofit initiative in terms of giving access to um, ad grants for search. Uh, we also do have other uh, training programs that we offer to uh, nonprofits to help them understand how to get the most of our out of our systems. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, one of the biggest nonprofit partners we have is the ad council, which is a, you know, you play a smoky bear, you know, say no to drug, um, that all of those major PSAs, um, and they, you know, have developed over the years, a really sophisticated network of both people who, um, operate their marketing directly and also their marketing partners, uh, who use our tools. And I would say, look, largely the same way. So, um, you know, there's nothing we love better than, than seeing our tools help people, whether it's for, you know, their, their careers and their businesses and their employees or for um, their nonprofits and society. And so, you know, I really encourage you to, to, to lean into that and, you know, we'd love to help you uh, make even more of a difference.
4: Aaron Avila has a question. What attributes or key points should good content address in your opinion? So basically, he wants to know what elements should good content address?
2: Well, this is always one of those challenges, right? Because when people ask me that question, I'm always like, gosh, I wish I had some like totally unique and differentiated answer. And the reality is when you look at our systems, right? What our systems tell you is exactly what traditional systems tell you, which is people like content that's like provocative or makes you laugh or pulls at your emotions or things that I know you who ask the question largely know. Um, so what I will try to do is give you something that maybe will be more useful to you, which is I do think one of the most under-leveraged tools we offer is uh, YouTube Insights, which um, we have a whole suite of tools that give you a ton of information for free about where people are engaging with your content. Um, and that that's specific, right? So it will speak very, very uh, precisely to the creative that you're running. And you know, while I think on average the the brilliant creative idea is typically coming from an actual creative person versus from the machines, a lot of the input and insight about you know what people are interested in, what they might respond to, and then the testing on like red car, blue car can be vastly enhanced by um, using systems like YouTube as essentially your your real time focus group. Um, and I am I am intrigued. We have seen tremendous success. From folks who use it that way to test their creative. At at Google, by the way, we have to hit a certain sort of online creative uh, mark in order for our campaigns to go broadly. Uh, And we would encourage you to to really lean in there to to strengthen what I'm sure is already a a great creative approach.
0: C-Suite Radio.
3: Alan Brunton is one of our leaders. He says, how do you qualify a business timeline for success with an ad campaign? And when do you decide to make that shift? So essentially, how are you um, how are you monitoring, uh, creating those kind of timelines of when do you what what data do you need to collect? When do you make that judgment call? And then when do you make changes and 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 continue that process?
2: So, I mean, like with all good uh, campaign answers, it does depend on your objective and what you're trying to do. But I will say on average, uh, because you get so much more rapid information, we like to look at optimization on a weekly basis. And on whether a tactic or a campaign is working, usually more like a month on average, right, just to be make sure you're not being hit by um, particular things that are happening at, at any point in time. Um, The other thing we also often do is just geotest, right? We'll try to, it'll be less time-based and more looking at the same period of time, doing one thing in one set of geographies and another in a comparable set of geographies to get a much better, faster read on is something making a difference or not.
4: The next question is going to be massive because it's a Levy to Levy question. Mm -hmm. So Lisa Levy is asking Tara Walpert Levy, as consumers are becoming more sophisticated, Are you seeing an increasing focus on customer experience in our never ending pandemic world? Are businesses that don't have a history of customer centricity learning the value?
2: Oh, absolutely. And by the way, Lisa, I don't think we're related, but, you know, if we are in some distant tree, please, please do reach out separately. Um, But yeah, hands down, right. I think that, you know, I gave the example upfront with Jeffrey about, you know, you can now buy a car and people do because they trust it so much, um, you know, all in an online environment. And frankly, I think at 30%, I, kudos to my, my insurance friends who I, I feel bad for making the comment about how invested they are in content. They are, they have mastered the customer experience in other ways, right? They've got 30% of insurance policies these days are sold just end to end online. And I think what we can see, you know, just as an example of the impatience of consumers, one of the biggest things that will make or break a brand or a company online is simply the speed of its website. Like we find on average, right, the difference of just a couple of seconds is the difference between the consumer saying, see it, not even exploring and someone actually going in and, and And trying to figure it out, um, so I would say I think everybody gets that now. I think COVID has brought that home to even the most reluctant. Um, and and interestingly, I think pre-COVID, you know, you would see in this almost unique advantage and a gap on the companies that were built D2C, meaning they were only online. Um, And, you know, by definition, they were so leaned into the online customer experience and so in tune with reacting to quick feedback and iterating. And they still are. I would just say I've been very impressed by the omnichannel uh, companies, retailers, restaurants, others who have had to very quickly up their game to compete in a world where their physical footprint is more limited in terms of access. And you can really see if you do it right, you know, the impact of um, being able to be both online and offline. Like I think about companies like Best Buy or Target and the customer experience they've created that is really seamless from your online customized experience to, you know, I pull up to Target to pick up my curbside order and they, you know, can tell based on technology, you know, from my phone, when I'm going to be there, they've got it ready. They've got the, like, thank you for being with us as I leave. I mean, they're very impressive. So I think, uh, companies across the board really are getting it. And I think that is a win-win for our customers and for businesses.
3: There are, there are a couple of questions that I would love to ask you about monetization, Tara. So, you know, there's the, the age old question in terms of that connection to the strategy and the monetization, the money of the marketing function, the CEO, the sales uh, arm of the organization or the executive. Um, and I'm just curious, are you seeing changes in that uh, with covid you know, so how is that dynamic playing out with COVID? Because that's an age-old dynamic, but uh, but interesting over the last eight nine months. And then and then the other piece of the, the other piece that talks to monetization is I'd love to know what you think people aren't maximizing uh, in your tools and technology and so on for the monetization of what they're putting out there, what they're doing um, in your in your worlds of Google and YouTube.
2: Sure. Um, I alluded to this a little bit with Jeffrey, but I think it's really interesting. I had a funny conversation with someone the other day where uh, I'm working on this paper for sitting board members and one of the things, and it talks about the need to shift uh, the mentality at the board level and across the C-suite to think of marketing as a growth investment vehicle and not as a cost driver. And this person would say, you know, Tara, like, I really don't think that's a board issue, right? That's an operational issue. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, like, no, it's, it's a fundamental board issue. And we are seeing it more and more across the board, because if you have either a board or a C-suite that's just saying, hey, like, marketing as a percentage of revenue simply has to go down as we think about margin expansion, which is totally legit. Um, but sort of missing the point that actually today, you know, marketing can be used to expand margins while you expand the top line. That's a major difference in how you approach strategy and what we see, you know, how you're going to approach growth. So, um, I think those conversations are changing a lot. I'm seeing more and more of them, right? And so the key combination really is the CMO, the CIO, sometimes those roles are now only one person, right? Which is why it's it's become more and more important Uh, in partnership with the CFO and the CEO to really have a clear North star on what the business goals of the marketing organization are and then setting up, you know, what is necessary to support that as a result, right? So just one tactical example, you know, you need to think more flexibly about budgeting across the year versus sort of setting it and forgetting it right up front. The marketer typically can't decide that on their own, right? That's a cross-functional C-suite decision. So i um, seeing a lot of difference there. And in particular, I think the fact that online revenues are a bigger percentage of total revenues for more companies during COVID time, and because of those sort of Guardrails and ability to see quickly what's happening that I talked about with Jeffrey. I think that's accelerating that conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about where folks could have even more opportunity in terms of interacting with our tools. It's a couple things. One, you know, the the more business insight we have, the better results we're able to generate. You know, there are different degrees of comfort today in our client base in terms of how much they want to share one way or the other. And I, I totally get that. But on, in general, the more the more insight you can give us the, the better the machines and we can work for you. Um, I think also measurement is sort of the you know such an incredibly hot topic, which is just making sure that um, for example, you know, having having a, a more sophisticated approach if you can to customer lifetime value and profitable, you know, degree of profitable acquisition versus, for example, just cost per lead. Um, you know, that those business decisions will again help the whole sort of Infrastructure work better. Um, you know, some clients use our uh, free and, and, in some cases, enterprise tools and solutions for measurement extensively, and and we see them optimizing regularly and uh, with very strong results. You know, others aren't yet set up to do that. Um, and then I think, lastly, you know, just making sure that um, brands are really thinking ahead for being able to compete in a you know, new world and new set of expectations around privacy where, you know, customers have made very clear, um, you know, what kinds of data they are more or less comfortable with and how to use it. And I think Google has always taken a very, uh, conservative position to, to protect that privacy. And so as a result, We've invested in a lot of different kinds of ways to personalize, um, whether that's against content or context or things like that. And we are seeing some of our most sophisticated clients really leaning into testing and learning about how those other forms of personalization can work for them so that they'll be prepared for some of the changes we anticipate coming down the pike from uh, regulators and others.
3: Fantastic.
4: All right, this is one final question. Uh, speaking of regulators and others, you know, we just asked our last guest, uh, Shelly Arshambo. You may have heard it saying there's a lot of pressure right now on Silicon Valley coming from Washington. I just want to get your view about where you stand, because a lot of people forget that Google is still a relatively young company, less than 20 years old. And what Shelly reminded us is that you know a lot of people saw IBM as a monolith that that would never fall, and then you know they've been uh, leapfrogged by a lot, a lot of companies like Google. So uh, how does it feel when you, to have Washington and a lot of folks coming after you at this juncture when perhaps in your minds, you might say, you know, look, we're still relative newcomers and, and there are other competitors out there. You look at TikTok coming up, who's trying to come at us. So what's your view? <laughs>
2: Well, a couple of things. I may will say first and foremost, on a very personal level, I'm always a little flummoxed because like Lord knows day to day, I feel a very competitive marketplace. Um, but that's, uh, that's all in the challenges of my job. Um, look, I would just say, you know, again, I think we, the thing that matters most to us is that we are being helpful to others. And that is across the board, whether that is customers commercial partners, you know, as we talked about here, nonprofit partners and our, and our government partners. And so I think we're just going to continue leaning into, you know, trying to make our products continue to be as helpful and useful and valuable to people as we can. And to be able to make sure that we communicate that story in a, in a way that is you know, as effective as possible. So people can see that, you know, we continue to get, you know, incredibly passionate support from consumers, from small businesses, from large businesses. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not the one who interacts as much with our, our government counterparts. So I, I don't know how much that uh, is shared on that front or not, but, um, you know, I think that's the heart of who we are and and that's,